Welcome to The Spartan Life, where we explore what it means to be part of the Southern Lehigh family and attempt to cover all of the sweet, sweet goodness that is Southern Lehigh High School in 30 minutes or less. From first-hand coverage of exciting experiences to intimate discussions with some of your favorite teachers to inspirational interviews with diverse students on unique journeys. That's right, great students accomplishing great feats. We'll do our best to hit all of the highlights. But inevitably, we will fail. Because there's so much to celebrate, we're afraid your brains would simply melt if we tried to cover it all. We are your hosts. I'm Mr. Howe. And I'm Mr. Castagna. Join us as we venture into the heart of Southern Lehigh High School, one interaction at a time on The, the Spartan, Spartan Life. Welcome to another episode of The Spartan Life. As always, I'm joined here by my wonderful co-host, Mr. Castagna. How are you doing today? I am ready to do what we do, Mr. Halp. Excellent. And this is a little bit different because here I'm going to take the driver's seat. I'd like to address a couple concerns that I have directly with you right here in this forum. Con concerns? What, what did I do, Mr. Halp? I, I thought we were getting along just fine. You know what you've done. I we'll guess, get to it. I guess I'll find out. <laughs> so I'd like to take you back to the end of last school year. The craziest school year we've ever had. Insane. Uh, I've never experienced anything like it. And, and the school year, the end is in sight. We're, we're sprinting towards the finish line because there was no easy way to end. And, and the end of May gets here. And all of the sudden, I come to your room and you're not there. I wasn't there. You have disappeared. You have left me in our moment of what was about to be triumph as we got towards the end of the year. Now, I know where you were at. But I don't know if most of our listeners do. Uh, so if you want to share with them exactly why you had left the school year early last year. Well, for anybody who was concerned that it was for any kind of nefarious reason, like I was on administrative leave or I'd gotten myself into any kind of trouble or anybody in my life was sick, it certainly wasn't that. But at the same time, I was not at liberty to really tell anybody where I had gone. You, you know, it, it's glad that we can finally address these rumors because that's exactly what it was. Are you sick? Did they quit? I mean, the number of students who were coming to me to ask me where you were at and the number of our fellow staff members who were trying to figure out where you were. And I'm like, I, I can't, I can't tell you. I can't, I can't tell you. So please address these rumors, please. Well, what's strange about that is I didn't anticipate any of that and I wasn't here for any of it. So that wasn't my experience at all. You described triumph. I left on cloud nine. I don't know that I'd ever felt so triumphant at the end of a school year ever before. One, because we had survived weird Zoom hybrid pandemic teaching. And I felt like by the end of it, I had really bonded with the students who were invested and wanted to get something out of it. And we really felt like we'd accomplished something. So I was feeling triumphant and really good about the work I had done this year. And as now I think everybody has probably figured out and put two and two together as word has spread, I was in Australia shooting my part of the Peacock Show Frogger. It's phenomenal. I'm glad that we can finally get that out there. It feels great to finally be able to talk about it. I feel like I've been keeping a secret for, God, what is it, three, four months now? Yeah. And, Maybe and longer. Um, and folks, that's what we're going to talk about here on this episode of The Spartan Life. We're going to talk about Mr. Castagna's experience in Australia filming for Frogger. But it really didn't start in May. The process of you getting and, and trying out to be on Frogger started the beginning of the school year, I think. No, uh, no, it was not that long ago. Okay. Um, it was more around March. Okay. I remember specifically, it was around my birthday. 
and I got an email. And I get these emails occasionally because years ago I applied for American Ninja Warrior. Now, don't go looking at back episodes. They never contacted me. I heard absolutely nothing. But it put me on a list where I will get casting emails about new shows. Oftentimes it's a cooking show, not for me, or a dating show, not for me. Uh, but this one said, Obstacle Course Racers, Weekend Warriors, Lovers of the 80s. And I said, check, check, and check again. So I came up with an idea for a creative application video. I used Monster Truck Voice. You know what 80s Monster Absolutely. Truck Voice sounds like. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. We'll sell you the whole seat, but you're only going to need the edge. And I put that together with a, a bunch of you know, clips of me doing silly things that were 80s-based or fitness-based. And they liked my energy, and they were interested. But this was right around my birthday. And shortly after that, I was running a virtual endurance race, which was... I believe 12 hours in length. And it was as many five-mile loops as you could do. And my goal was to do 40 because I just turned 40. So I'm going to do 40 for 40. But I had to submit a physical fitness video. So it's like this 15-minute workout that you have to do for Frogger, for Frogger uh, that turned out to be actually way more intensive than you would think. And I remember the only way I could get the application done in time was if I did the physical fitness video the morning that I had to go and do that race. Oh, jeez. So I went out and did my 40 miles exhausted from the Frogger Fitness video. Wow, that's quite the way to start. Yeah, so that was March. Right. And then uh, I wasn't totally accepted and didn't totally know that I was going until shortly before I left in May. So then, so then May comes, and, and I know that that process was like kind of like, it was very step-by-step. Step. It was like you, you didn't hear something, you submitted something, and then you didn't hear for a while, and then they're like, oh, well, they accepted that, now they want background check. And then I, I remembered um, you showing me the extensive background they check where they like highlighted the things that we had said directly here on this podcast. Yeah, look, I don't know if they have bots that comb through that kind of stuff or if they have a guy in a room who actually has to listen to all of that. But they pulled quotes from episodes of The Spartan Life. So it seemed like they were listening to it. And I got to be honest, not that many people around here listen to The Spartan right. Life. So I was very impressed with how thorough the background check was. We can, we can attribute at least one listener to the Frogger people. So that's go. good. Yeah. So then we get to May. And about uh, maybe it was like a week before you had to fly out. They give you your plane tickets and tell you what's happening. I finally got uh, officially, unofficially confirmed. So yes. where was your first stop after you left school? Oh, now I got to think back, right? So uh, my first stop was Allentown Airport on a very tiny plane uh, because it was just a puddle jumper that was going to take me to, ooh, I think it was Chicago. This is a few months ago now. Um, were you actually at ABE, or is it LVI now? Which one is it? Uh, I don't know. I think it's LVI, maybe. We'll say Allentown yeah, Airport. Sure. I actually had to walk out on the tarmac. I have footage of me. Like, I kind of filmed it. I'm narrating as I go. And then, like, as you get on the plane, you have to, like, crouch down because, like, there isn't a lot of headroom. Yeah. So yeah. it's a very, very tiny flight, and you got to wear a mask, which I wasn't, uh, I, I wasn't very excited about wearing a mask on a plane. I mean, you think wearing a mask in a school is restrictive. Yeah. Imagine in a, you know, a tube, a metal tube, where you have, like, restricted air to begin with. Right. Uh, but it was a relatively short flight, and then I uh, flew to Chicago from Chicago to L.A., Spent two days in L.A. Uh, getting ready for the trip to Australia. Right, and they had to, you had to go through some quarantining there, uh, get a negative COVID test before you could actually take that final leg to Australia, correct? Yes, and really wasn't supposed to leave the room uh, for two days. Okay. So I could go down and use the gym. Um, there was like an atrium area that I like snuck out to, and I did some reading out there. Okay. Uh, but for the most part, I just had food delivered, Uber Eats, 
which right. was really cool because I, I, at the time I was on a very restrictive diet. I was doing the paleo diet, okay. but it was L.A. So, so yeah, so ex- super expensive. Right. Uh, but they have pretty much, you know, any anything that's like hippie alternative, um, you know, about the environment right. or eating clean. Well, it's, they California. Have it. it's California. It's California. That's, that's the way they eat. So then you leave from uh, from LAX, you fly into Australia, into Sydney, Australia. Correct. And and once you land there, two weeks in a hotel, correct? Boy, I don't know if I want to revisit this. Yes, I, that, well, yes. we're going to go there because I think it's important to understand that, you know, uh, Australia did some things differently for international travelers. They did. They and did. one of the things that they wanted you to do was actually stay in quarantine in a hotel for two weeks. Uh, tell us about that experience just a little bit. Well, it's... Exactly what it sounds like, except that even when people hear it, they don't realize the magnitude. It was 14 straight days in one room. Right. So what did you do to kill the time? I mean, I think that Let me clarify what that means. That means I didn't leave to get food. I wasn't cooking food. They would deliver food three times a day, a prepared meal. I did give them my dietary preferences, so it was mostly paleo, Uh, you know, uh, lean meats, vegetables, fruit, nuts, that kind of stuff. And uh, you'd get a knock on the door. Uh, for breakfast, it was like between six and eight, I believe. Somewhere between there, you were going to get a knock on the door. You'd have to put a mask on. You'd open the door, and there'd be a bag sitting there for you. That would also be your garbage bag. When you were done, you'd put it out in the hall. They would take it away. Same thing would happen for lunch. Same thing would happen for dinner. Um, couldn't, couldn't, there was no balcony, so couldn't go outside. Couldn't even open a window because the windows did not open in my room. There were people on like the first few floors who had a balcony. Uh, so they actually got to breathe fresh Australian air for right. those 14 days. I did not. So what did I do? I exercised twice a day. So you had to get as creative as you could because you were stuck in one room. But there was a lot of like jumping rope. There was a lot of push-ups. Lot I, was of push-ups. Doing, I was doing 200 push-ups a day at least. Uh, they were kind enough to give me a jump rope. They were kind enough to give me exercise bands. They were kind enough to give us several workouts, like several videos that we could follow. So I would follow those or I would modify and I would do that twice a day. I would eat my three meals. I would FaceTime with my family. Like I would actually attend my daughter's softball games through FaceTime. Virtually. Virtually, which was really cool. So I was able to do that and that ate up a lot of time. Of course, the times were off. So I was going to their six o'clock games at like eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Right. So it was it was different. Um, I got fantastic sleep. Um, And uh, what else? I, I read. I got caught up on movies and TV because uh, during the school year, especially last year, I didn't have a lot of time. Right. And I don't know about you, Mr. Hout, but having a 10-year-old daughter, I can't just put on adult content no, you in cannot. the middle of the afternoon. No, you cannot. So, and by the time you can put that content on, it's like you're falling asleep. Yeah, so you can't enjoy it. Exactly. So I could really like dial in and enjoy TV and books and movies in a way that I hadn't in a while. And I worked on a novel. Right. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, for two weeks, it was great. I got about 200 pages. I was very happy with it. It was flowing. But then you come back to the real world and all your time is gone. And I don't know if I'll ever get back to it or not. But it was a good way to pass the 14 days. Back to the grind. So the answer is routine, routine, routine. I talked to a couple of people over there and we all said the same thing. The people who did okay with quarantine, you had a routine. You established routine. So your two weeks of quarantining is up. Uh, the 14 days, sorry, the 14 days of quarantine. Let's emphasize is up. That. Yeah, I think we need 14 to. 14 days. 14 days. What happens next? Okay, so after 14 days, uh, you get released. It's almost like getting out of prison. <laughs> yeah. And then I go downstairs to the lobby, and there's this whole process. It's a slow process. They're checking and double-checking everything. you got to keep the mask on. Uh, you don't want to do anything that could screw up your quarantine. After you've gone through it for 14 days, 
God forbid they bounce you back Put in. You, you got to do it another 14 days. Uh, so I'm down in the lobby. Everybody has forgotten how to communicate with one another. We're not sure what we're allowed to do and not allowed to do because they had given us mixed messages about congregating because we were all going to be on the show. And I think they were most concerned with people forming friendships and like promising to split prize money. Oh, I got it. And then we get on the bus and we're still wearing masks, but the bus driver, totally cool guy. So you get the Australian vibe right away. Like really outgoing, really cool accent. He's telling us about, you know, all the sights that we got to see. And he, and he, he was extra nice because he took us kind of the long way round. And I realized that for two weeks, I had been within spitting distance of the Sydney Opera House. Oh, yeah. Wow. But I couldn't yeah. see it from my window. Right. So he was kind enough to drive past that. And then we saw the botanical gardens, a couple other sites along the way. And then it was just like, you know, getting your sea legs back under you. And remembering what it's like to be a human being out in the real world. So they take you to the first meeting, I guess, with the production company. Is that is that kind of where you went from that hotel? Or was it like from one hotel where you're quarantined to a new hotel where you'll now be staying and picking up meetings and everything like that? So we go to the new hotel, which is really more like uh, a building filled with apartments. It's like hotel slash apartment sort of living. People like more long term. Okay. Somebody who's going to stay rather than just a, you know, a hotel room. And we all met in the lobby. It was like a meeting room, a conference room in the lobby. And that's where we met with production. So they give us the gist of it. Uh, you know, they explain per diem. They explain how the next like two days are going to go because we still have to then pass another COVID test. So you're still pretty restricted. Uh, but now you're in your room, which has a kitchen. You can order food. Um, I had a balcony. Um, I had a nicer shower. There was a refrigerator. And then you're also able to leave for up to an hour a day for outdoor exercise. Okay. So everybody stretched the heck out of that. I was going to say, you that's know, one a, hour an upgrade. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hour, hour becomes hour 15, hour and a half. Yeah, I can see how that would happen. And I was trying to behave. So I figured I'd go for a run. Five miles should take me an hour or less, no problem. So I had it mapped out. It turns out GPS has destroyed like my natural compass, and I have no sense of direction. So my five-mile run turned into a 10 mile i'm completely lost oh, it's getting dark i may never find my way back to this hotel that i saw one time i was terrified and i was afraid that they would find out and they kicked me off the show meanwhile i get back it's like two and a half hours right nobody even noticed no one noticed no. Jeez. nobody cares so you had a little bit of downtime from the time you moved in there your first initial meeting until you actually started filming your first day what we what we saw ultimately in the episode that just was released so my first day of filming to clarify would be the first run against james uh when i ran frogs in space prior to that you had talked about meeting with the production company they had to develop your character yeah so we did uh several days of interviews and what's interesting is we had one 15-hour day where we're sort of in this arcade setup, which looked really, really cool. And the idea was you and the person you're competing against, they're going to go up on the stage. You're going to talk to Damon Wayans Jr., the host. He's going to ask you a couple questions. And then you're going to disappear into this arcade machine, like through the coin slot. Then you come out the other end and, oh, it's frogs in space, and you look really excited. What's interesting about that is that for anybody who has seen the show, they used none, none of, of that. It. And that was a 15-hour day. I was so excited because it was the first time there were cameras and I was, I was there to do what I was there to do. So for 15 hours, I'm cheering for people. I'm trying to be a good audience member. I keep the energy up. And by the end of the day, we ran out of time. I never got a proper oh. interview. Yeah. And, and it actually turned out really nice. I thought, I, th I mean, I thought the, the first couple episodes were great. Your episode comes up. I'm like, yes. 
Um, so then you actually have this whole pre-production day. Um, was the orange, was that your choice or their <laughs> choice? So we have wardrobe. Oh, hold on. Which and I the thought... orange wristband, which or sweatband, which they really highlighted, I thought. Yeah, Kyle Brandt really liked those orange wristbands. He kept coming back to that. It, it made me look like a guy who had lived through the 80s, uh, which, which was cool. I, I love that cheesy 80s type stuff, so I'm glad they gave me that kind of wardrobe. But yeah, wardrobe was nothing. If you look at the clothes I'm wearing, uh, those are basically clothes I would use to work out on a regular basis. Okay, okay. Yeah, I didn't so. know if there was like some choice in the orange, whether that was yours or theirs. No, you know? no, it was like, hey, you have these uh, fashion experts and you walk into the, this glorified closet where they got racks and racks of clothes and they kind of study you up and down. They're like, okay, I think this will work. I think this is going to look good. And you're excited to be on TV, so you just go with it. So they got me wardrobed. Um, I did mention the interviews they didn't go with, but then there was the interview that they did go with which you sit down and anywhere from like 15 minutes to a half hour, they ask you a series of questions. They had sent out a questionnaire, so they already kind of know what your answers are, but then they want to hear the answers, you know, on air. Right. And that's where they got from everything I talked about for probably 30 minutes. They boiled it down to he's an 80s rock dad. Right. Which, which was perfect. He I teaches was, English. I was fine. That's, that's yeah. all right. And, and they highlighted that throughout the entire competition you actually got um, on, on the show itself. I think it's interesting to, to note that the hosts are not there when you're actually competing. Um, they are not. No, and it's, any show is built like that. Right. And if you're listening for it, you know how things are edited, you can pretty much tell. Yeah. So you're running Frogs in Space. Frogs comes in Space. Up. Did you know anything about this course prior to you actually stepping out onto it? They bring you in that morning, you and however many other people are going to run that course. They walk you through it. They answer your questions about it. Several of us drew maps so we could study it all day. And then what they don't tell you is when you're going to run it. So you might run it 10 minutes later. You might not run it till 10 o'clock that night. Okay. And they keep you in like this one room, sort of a holding pattern. Uh, and every now and then they'll serve meals and you just kind of sit and you talk to people. I did a lot of journaling to pass the time. So it's more hurry up and wait type situations. You know, because yes, there is way more hurry up and wait than I would have thought. So you finally run your course. We saw that. We saw the outcome of that. You bust through the whole thing. One run, no lives lost. Yay, Mr. Castagna. I mean, that's just exciting. Did you feel really good at the end when you had finished? Did you know you had a shot? I'll walk you through it. So we come out. We had seen the course that morning. Some of us had talked about it. We said, okay, there's a trampoline. You hop to the trampoline, and then you hop to, like, the crater. And I said, I don't know how bouncy that trampoline is. That seems really risky, so I'm just going to hop onto the trampoline and, like, lay on it. I'm not going to use the trampoline to take, like, a running bounce and go directly to, uh, you know, the crater. And then you walk out, and the guy who's in charge of, like, last-minute details, dude who must have designed the course himself because he's super excited. He's like the mad scientist. He's like, all right, so here's what people have been doing. Here are some suggestions. And he says, you want to hit that trampoline hard. You want to bounce right onto the crater. Total opposite of what I was planning. So then they give me the three, two, one, go. And they edited it nicely, but I actually paused for like 15 straight seconds. And I was like, my strategy or his strategy? My strategy or his strategy? I don't, I don't want to mess this up. I don't know. I don't know. And then I took his strategy. And Kyle Brandt, Damon Wayans Jr., very impressed. I hit that trampoline. I bounce onto the crater. Kyle says, best we've ever seen on this course. So now I'm running this thing, and your mind just goes blank. You're in that flow state. Things are just happening. Your adrenaline is sky high, and uh, you just, like, black out, right? So I just keep going and going and going and going and going. After the fact, there are certain things I couldn't have told you about my run. 
like I knew I had to stumble and I had to pull myself up, but I would have been hazy about when that happened on the course. You wouldn't have known that you almost fell off the entire obstacle and were only holding on by your fingertips. Right, right. right. I, I wouldn't have been able to describe that to you. Um, and then, you know, which lily pad did I jump on and land on my feet? Which one did I land on my knees? There was a lot of landing on yes. the knees. There was a lot of bloody a knees. A lot of that. But I knew as I got past the golden doors, I could make it to the end of the course. And my only concern was the jump to the button at the end, the big red pad, was eight feet. Right. That's far. So I got there. I paused. I took a breath. And I just gave it all I had. And I laid out. And I made it. I was so ecstatic, right? All of a sudden, then you come back to yourself and you realize what you've just done. I did what I had come there to do. And I realized I had put a ton of pressure on James. Right then, I felt like I'd won the whole thing. Right. That's awesome. And, and I mean, then, then he's got to live up to this. I mean, you make it through in one shot. And here's this poor guy. I think he got to the doors. He got to the doors. And that's where he fell and that's in. That's where he fell in for the first time. But he only got one life because I had done it right? in one life, right? So, so I put a ton like, of pressure on him. Yeah. He was a great guy. We had spent a lot of time together. I was old enough to be his dad, but uh, regardless, Never we bonded. Mind. Yeah. And he was a good guy. And he's about halfway through the course. Now, remember, I said I was ecstatic and I felt like I'd won the whole thing. He's halfway through the course and he's moving good. He's moving better than me. And now I talk myself out of it. I'm like, oh my God. I, I had this one, and now he's going to finish the course. Faster, right? Well, it's not a faster thing. Okay. If we both finish it in one life, then we do a tiebreaker. Oh. But now I'm thinking, he's going to finish this thing. I had one, and now that's being taken from me, and I got to fight to survive again, and then he gets hit by the door, and all of a sudden I'm a winner again. Right. A roller coaster of emotions. Yeah, but I can't say enough for James. He was a great guy. Normally, my wife and daughter would be at a, an event like that cheering for me, and they couldn't be there. They couldn't go for the six weeks I was in Australia. Uh, and James was uh, a perfect gentleman and uh, a great sport. And rather than talk trash, he cheered for me the whole way. So when it got quiet, I heard a voice cheering for me, and it was James. Well, and I saw you cheering for everybody as well. well I that's mean, it. you were doing that there at the end when he was going, you know, and they, they did highlight that. And then again, in the final, you were there cheerleading for everybody else too. It was such a surreal experience that the only people who will ever truly understand going away to do this for six weeks, this silly show that we didn't know exactly what it was going to be, two weeks of quarantine, uh, COVID outbreak in the middle of it. So then I wouldn't say we got quarantined again, but we couldn't really travel. So all we had was each other. So you couldn't help but be in each other's corner because you just you understood the struggle was real for everybody. And once James cheers for me, then I have to cheer for him, too. Absolutely. So you get to the boss toad level. Boss toad. Did you know the two other competitors that you would be competing against? Tater, uh, whose real name is Derek, the basketball player. Was he a basketball player? His brother was a basketball player. He's a bartender. I think he played some basketball, though. Tall guy. Right. Um, I knew him a little bit. But Robert, the guy who ended up beating me, uh, I knew really well. Robert was actually the first guy I met in that hotel in L.A. when we could actually finally congregate with each other. Uh, and the two of us spent a day in Sydney uh, where we went and we saw the sights together. So I, he was a dad. We were around the same age. Um, we got to know each other really well. And it wasn't until like the morning of Boss Toad that we started to realize we're going to have to compete against each oh, other. Oh, okay. Okay. So you kind of had put two and two together throughout that and, and realize, uh-oh. Yeah. You're kind of watching them pair people up, and you look around the room at who's left, and you think, well, how are they putting these pairs together? Because nobody could figure out the logic. Yeah. And then we kind of thought, like, well, we would be a good matchup. And sure enough, the way they cut it together, you had three people who had finished their crossing right. running Boss Toad together. So they clearly wanted it that way. Right. 
which was great to me. Great for me. Either I was going to win or I was going to lose to somebody who was great competition and deserved to win. You went first. I so did. So were you feeling really confident? I mean, three toads at that point. Did you know that that was a good score to have at that point? I had heard murmurings that people were getting by. And if you've seen the show, you know this is a fact. With like saving one frog at a fast time or two frogs. And you could win the whole thing. I thought three was good. Now, Damon was up in a booth and would occasionally like talk over the loudspeaker. So after my run, he said, Joe, that was a great run. You got three froglets. How are you feeling? And I remember, I remember feeling great. I was happy to be on TV. I was happy that I got to live out childhood dreams like hanging from a helicopter, climbing a temple like Indiana Jones. Yeah, right. I mean, this is, this is a kid in a candy store. Like this is stuff I've always wanted to do. But I was honest and I said, I don't know. I think I could have gone harder. Uh, as an obstacle course racer, you get real comfortable being uncomfortable, but I think maybe I was too comfortable. And really what I was referring to is I wanted that fourth frog. But the one that you dropped in the water that <sighs> floated away, floating sadly it all was, by himself. It was so dramatic, and, and it was just out of my reach. It was just too far away. I couldn't get to it, but that was my plan. My plan was to get the one in the Venus flytrap. Just leave it there on the <sighs> island. Go over to the helicopter. Ride the helicopter over. Bank them both. Now I've got two. Go to the temple. Get both of them. I didn't realize that the temple was going to soak me in the most intense shower I've ever taken in my life. And the glasses. Oh, the, the glasses. I mean, if somebody wants to turn that into a meme when the rec specs are hanging like crooked off my face, like that about summed up. And the way they edited it, they actually made my performance look better than it was. I got crushed. On climbing that temple. It took me forever to climb. I couldn't see the footholds, couldn't see the handholds. It looked like you handled that pretty good. I was worried yeah. about the fall that you took when you landed on your rear end after that helicopter drop. That's yeah. the one I was worried about. Well, you end up on this, this pad that you can't really put any pressure on. So the way that, I don't know if they didn't get a good angle on it or what, but you couldn't really see why I dropped those frogs. I couldn't really get my footing on that pad that I had landed on to muster a good jump to the next lily pad. So I think I jumped and hit it with my chest and lost both frogs. I was able to get one back, but I couldn't get the other. Oh, I, I thought it was great. I still, I, I think the drama was there. I thought the episode was great. I thought you had three. I'm like, that was good. Because watching the others, you're right. Some of these guys had three, maybe four was the winner. Who would have known that the guy who won would have gotten four frogs? One more than you did. And was going for the fifth. I think he would have had it had time not ran out. He shoots it like he a basketball. It. That's and there's what a it was. really funny shot yeah. where it's in slow motion. Yeah. And I say something like, I think it was a Caddyshack quote, it's in the hole, because I was still cheering for him, yeah. even though he had definitely beat me. But he beat me anyway, because he got three frogs faster than I did. Right. He got them real fast. And the way he got them was he went third. Right. And you can see the guy who went second, the guy who went third, they learned from my mistakes. Because mm -hmm. we had never seen anybody run this course before. So you watch the first guy, and you're like, okay, that takes a while. Uh, that was a good strategy. That's not a great strategy. He tried this. I'll try that. Robert goes right to the temple, which was easily the hardest part of the course. Nobody would do that unless they felt like they had to. And he felt like he had to was the easiest way to beat me. And sure enough, it was. So, I mean, I could be a little salty about it. But, uh, you know, Robert was great competition. And it's the luck of the draw. It is what it is. They flipped a coin. I went first. Got to live out childhood dreams and do really fun stuff. I can't complain. Excellent.
and and you know that unfortunately that does end your journey on Frogger. Not winning and not making it past that round, we will not see you in any future episodes. Correct? That is it. Uh, the the there are twelve episodes, and there are twelve winners of the Boss Toad round. Those twelve people come back for the thirteenth episode and compete against each other in the finale. So here's the question: Now that this is all over, would you do this again? I would definitely do a show like this again. I would not spend the six weeks away from my family. Okay. Yeah. So if we were filming right here, the Southern Lehigh Frogger competition in the backyard here, you're all in, but you're not going to Australia again. Correct. Even if they said, hey, come out to LA for a weekend to do an All-Stars episode, and I'd say, well, that's manageable. I'll put my wife and kid on a flight with me. We'll pay for that. And uh, fine, they can watch me and cheer for me. I would do that. Very good. At the end of the day, you did Southern Lehigh proud, and you fought like a true Spartan. Thank you, sir. Thank you for sharing this experience with us here on The Spartan Life. This is our exclusive, folks. So thank you for doing that with me, sir. Thank you. Thanks for doing this, Mr. Halp. I, I appreciate it. You said we had some uh, dirty laundry we had to air out. I'm glad it was just Frogger. Oh, it's just Frogger. And not anything more serious than that. And, and the waterfall at the end washed all that dirty laundry away, I'm sure of it. Oh, my God. With my Rex specs. See you later. <laughs> the interview might be over, but a few people had something else to say. Hey, Mr. Castagna, Mrs. Gariello here. Congratulations on rocking it on Frogger. My husband and I were cheering for you from our couches. You probably heard us. Congratulations again, and you really are Spartan strong. This is Mr. Miller saying congratulations to Mr. Castagna on his impressive showing on Frogger. Great job, and it was a lot of fun to watch. Hey Joe, it's Frenchie. Felicitations. Congratulations on making it on the show. I can't wait to see how far you get. Hey, Mr. Castagna, Mr. Pip here. Just wanted to send you a quick congratulations on your awesome time on the Frogger TV show. Uh, I, was, I was impressed. I know I could not have done um, nearly any of the things that you did. Uh, taking down an opponent half your age uh, was, was, quite, was quite impressive. Uh, so congrats again. And uh, it was a lot of fun watching it. Congratulations, Mr. Castagna. Uh, we're always telling students to follow their hearts and to live out loud. And you did that. And it was amazing. And it's so cool to know that I know someone famous. Uh, so congrats. Felicidades, Senor Castagna. Soy la Senora Ims. Here to congratulate you on your wonderful experience participating in Frogger. What an absolute adventure. I am here to tell you, however, that you probably didn't need to go all the way to Australia to participate in an obstacle course, but leave it to you to be a little extra. I hope that you really enjoyed such an absolutely amazing and unique experience. All my best. Adios. Peace out. Hey, Joe. Mom and Dad here. Joe, we're so very proud of your performance on Frogger. You were awesome and just spectacular. Yeah, Joe, very proud. Your commentary and your performance were spectacular. Springsteen and Willis would ask for your autograph. Great sportsmanship. We love you. Hey, bro, it's your little sis. You know I'm proud of you every day, no matter what you accomplish. But nothing made me more proud than watching you finally fulfill a lifelong dream of being on a competition TV show. 
No one outfroggers a Castagna on the Space Course. Gabby and Ralph, what did you like best about Uncle Joe's performance? I have to be honest, you really did rock those orange wristbands. And you played a mean air guitar. Great job, Uncle Joe. We love you. We love, love you. you. Hi there, 80s Rock Dad. This is your wife. And your daughter. We sure missed you when you were off filming Frogger, but it was so fun to watch you on TV. You did a great job. Lorelai, what was your favorite part? My favorite part was when you did a seat drop from the helicopter. Oh yeah, that was awesome. My favorite part was when you kept barreling up Toad Temple, even with your glasses falling off your face. Yeah, that was so funny. We're so glad you got to be part of a fun competition show. Great job. Love you! <laughs> As I said at the end of the interview, you really did do Southernly High very proud. You showed what it meant to be Spartan strong. Congratulations, my friend, on a job well done. Find purchase. Well, this is kind of a <laughs> I'm cut that. Okay. Okay.